Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. About two months ago, I had one of the thrills of my life with uh, a lifelong dream. My wife and I went to visit Scotland, something that we had both talked about when we were dating. And uh, as you know, along in our journey together, we kept saying, someday, someday we're going to go to Scotland. Well, someday was about two months ago. And uh, I think part of that was the fact that my name is Stuart and, and my great-grandfather came from there, but also she has some roots there as well. So when we went there, we discovered a lot of things that we didn't know. The history is really fascinating about Scotland and, and some of the things that have even uh, come over to this country. I didn't know about Robert Louis Stevenson being born there and he lived in Napa and he was all over the world, but uh, that was kind of interesting, the connection of the Bay Area and also uh, being in Edinburgh. But um, the last two days we were in Edinburgh and uh, we took a lot of pictures, but I want to show you one picture that we, that we took here on the evening before we left. This is of Edinburgh Castle. Now we got to go up there and see the castle and we also took a bunch of pictures that looked like this. But on the evening as we were returning back to our hotel, we saw this contrast because the light was really low setting and it had these dark clouds behind it. We, as we were walking, we looked up, oh, we got to get this picture. And, of course, Tina's real good at framing things. She's get the tree here and that there. She's an artistic type, and it came out pretty nice. But you'd be surprised that the time that that was taken was at 9.45 p.m. And I didn't realize, you know, that the sun, the days were so long. And then when we went to bed that night, we were supposed to get up early to take the bus back to Glasgow to take the uh, airplane. I woke up at 4, and I took this picture outside of our hotel window, 4 a.m. So you see, it's starting to come up here. Here's a train station here. And we were uh, uh, facing the train station, and this is the Maritime Academy they had there. The sun was setting here, and it just has this little bitty loop before it comes back up again. And I was talking to our uh, bus driver about that, and the tour guide we had the whole time, his name was Jimmy Alexander. He kept talking about the rhododendrons on the road and all those things. And, and we had these people from West Virginia said they couldn't understand a word he was saying. It's such a world contrast of, a, of English. But um, he said, you should see it in December, in November, December here. The sun comes up at about 11 and it sets at 4. I wouldn't be able to take that. But uh, the contrast of the darkness and the light, I realized when I looked on a world map that Edinburgh is not too far off from where Juneau, Alaska is. And I know Alaska has long and short days and stuff and, and the other way around uh, and when the uh, seasons change. Uh, Jim Mitchell lived in Alaska and he, he's told me about where they had midnight volleyball uh, when it was like the days were long and stuff. But uh, that's what I want to talk about this morning, the contrast between dark and light. There is a contrast. And the contrast in darkness and light is a shadow. If you think about that, we had a dark shadow in here at this time. And you see darkness and it is gone once the light comes on. It, the shadow, it dissipates. It goes away. And it, it no longer exists. The, the night is actually one big, huge, mega shadow, if you think about that. Now, light is a very resourceful thing for us. Darkness, on the other hand, is not quite that resourceful. It does have its resources for us as human beings. It's, it's a time when it cools down, when it's hot like this, or when we sleep. Now, if you have an animal, dog or cat, they have no discrimination about sleeping whenever it's light or dark. They have a way of doing it, but we don't. We, the only resource we find in darkness is, is a time where we can be asleep or other things, other things. 
That's what I want to talk about this morning. We are continuing this series 24-7, the ongoing process of transformation, where God takes us from one form to another to create us into the character that He desires. It happens on a continual basis. That's why we call it 24-7. Something that fascinates me about light and dark is the moon. There's a huge sphere that we get to look at that has light on it and dark at it in different phases. And there are times where I'm still, you know, growing up, looking at the moon, it still fascinates me to be able to see the phases change and know the sunlight is on that big, huge planet, and you can see the shadow shift. Now, the uh, 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 new moon is about to be on us right now, and because it's going toward it, you won't be able to see it. But then there will be phases a little bit later where you'll be, be able to see it because the shadow will dissipate as the sunlight shines on it and the light grows and the darkness dissipates. Now this resource, the Bible, that we like to learn from here at Northgate Christian Fellowship, has a lot to say about light and dark. The contrast of light and dark, especially in our own transformation. God desires us to encounter dissipating shadows as we grow in our growth. The process, the ongoing process of transformation. Now in the very beginning, we look at the book of Genesis and we see the creation. And right off the bat, we're able to see this role of dark and light. If you listen to Genesis 1, the very first chapter in the book, verses 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless. It wasn't very resourceful. And empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, getting ready to create things. And God, the very first thing we hear out of God's Word is, Let there be what? Light. Let there be light. There wasn't any at that time. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. Now think about that. Darkness was just darkness. It didn't have anything to be contrasted with. And all of a sudden the light comes about, and we realize what darkness is. And there's distinction. God says the light is good. doesn't mean that the dark is bad, conversely. But the, light, the darkness isn't really that resourceful. It's not all that resourceful. But light is pronounced as good. God says something good has overtaken something that had very little purpose. And it's the same with the formlessness and emptiness that existed before the creation of things. Something good is overtaking that which was minimal in its purpose and resource. That's the principle that God's truth is trying to convey to us with the idea of light and dark. There are passages after passage in this resource about light and dark and what it means to us. I can't read them all today, but I want to highlight some of the ones that are very meaningful in our transformations. We also hear uh, the story of someone who has gone from dark to light. That's the principle that God wants us to understand. Now Jesus, as he walked about teaching the disciples, they often had certain notions about the way things should go for them, usually political or self-centered. And Jesus often set them straight. And there was one point when they were trying to suggest to him to do something, Jesus uttered these words in John eleven nine. He said this, and you can almost hear the Yiddishness of Jesus. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Well, yeah. A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And the disciples are probably going, oh, we know that. What's that supposed to mean? You know, we know when it's light, you can see. When it's dark, you can't. You can trip over something. Jesus had something to say 
in that when he taught them a little bit later about the role of light and dark in their lives. And they probably figured it out a little bit later. But he says this to them almost in, in, a, in a parable, parabolic way, that you can stumble. His point was not to illustrate the practical benefit of light. It is very practical. But what can happen in darkness? Namely, stumbling. You can stumble in the darkness. And he has a lot more to say about that. You know that the crime rate, we all know this, the crime rate goes up when the sun goes down. We know that moral failures happen when the sun goes down. We know there's just something about darkness where we can hide and sneak around like cockroaches and you turn on the lights and we all scatter. There's just something about darkness where we are prone to do things that we wouldn't normally do when it's light. That's the way it is spiritually. That's what God is talking about. Light provides contrast so we can differentiate. We can make a distinction. Just like in the beginning, there was no light before. Now we make a distinction. There's contrast. There's dark. There's light. And that's the way it is for us. That's the way it is for all of us. It was when Judas betrayed Jesus where he turned against him that it says in the scripture, characterizes it in John 13, 30, he did, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out to do that. It says, and it was night. It was night. There was just something about the night that compelled him to go ahead and do what he was going to do. Maybe he thought about it more in the daylight. But he was ready at night. And when it's light, you're able to see. You can see when things are in your way when it's light out. You're able to go around something. If you're on the freeway, you see something on the road and you go around it. If you're at night, sometimes you have your lights on. Whoa, you might hit it. There's something about light that's very resourceful. But when it's dark, you can crash and fall. I know that from experience. Every once in a while, I get up in the middle of the night to make use of the facilities. And uh, I'm not going to implicate my wife like I did the last first two services because she said, I don't always put those things there. You do too. But there's something that was put there that wasn't there before that I forgot about. Or I didn't know was there. And I'm just making my way and I know where it is and I find it with my shin. Or I find the bedpost with my toe. You know what that's like. because You can't see it. There's no illumination can make that differentiation, the distinction. So you don't stumble. And that's the way it is spiritually with us. It's a differentiation. And that's what transformation involves. It involves differentiation. It involves making distinctions. That's what the light provides for us in God's truth. The influence that we have. When we're going from one form to another, when we make one step along the way that God guides us to, with His guidelines and His truth, it makes it different. It makes it distinct on a continual basis. Now, if you were here last week, we read from Romans 8. And this relates as well. All these scriptures that we've been talking about the last several weeks relate to transformation. And this is, this is related to this principle. It states that all the righteous requirements of the law... We can't meet ourselves. They're fully met in us through Jesus Christ. We make a choice to agree with God's guidelines for our journey. And we don't live according to the sinful nature. That was the language. We don't choose to live according to the sinful nature, but we have our minds on what God desires. And there's that distinction, that differentiation, because the world doesn't. They have their minds set on the things that they want for themselves. And we have our minds set on the things that what God wants for us. Sometimes we look like the world, but the differentiation is what makes a difference for us in our transformation. We're being challenged. Our perspective is being shaken. And we have to consider those things on and on and on. It was after Jesus 
and had a, a conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. Very popular story that's often preached on. Nicodemus was this righteous leader and he was like the righteousness police. He was with that group. You know, showing people how they should live. He wants to know a little bit more about what Jesus has to say. So what does he do? He comes home at night. Kind of sneaks around clandestine. And says, Jesus, you know, tell us more. Tell me more. He was searching for a little more light. He came in the dark. And Jesus made a point when, with that occasion to bring some truth to him about that. This is what he says in John 3, 19 through 21. He says this to Nicodemus. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now here's Jesus generalizing. We're not supposed to generalize, are we? Well, if anyone has a right to generalize, it's Jesus. He came to tell us about God's kingdom. And he says, that men love darkness. And people love darkness because they prefer their, their deeds are evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light. Why? Because they don't want to come into the light. For fear that their deeds will be exposed. They'll be brought to light. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. We know that differentiation of God's light. Two, so that we may, and so it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Having our minds set on what God desires. That's the continual challenge. And this all correlates to Romans 12 too, which you don't have on your outline, but we have read it before. We don't conform to the pattern of this world, but we're being transformed. By the renewing of our mind. That's the differentiation that is provided by God's light and truth. It's a modification. It's a becoming distinct. Now what results from that? What's the difference between the world and us? Well, these notions that we have, these habits that we have, these established patterns that we like to live out are interrupted. Our habits and our hang-ups and our, our, uh, all the things that are destructive to us, they're challenged. And they're interrupted and disrupted by the differentiation of God's light. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. The light is good. They need to be. There's a book called, uh, by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. And he says this pretty well. We all establish automatic patterns of response that govern most of our behavior. We all have our own patterns and stuff. In other words, I don't wake up in the morning... And I know you don't either. And think to yourself, and I think to myself, you know, today I'm going to manipulate things so I can get things my way. We don't wake up right away with that. Now something may provoke that right away, but we don't wake up planning on doing these things that are a set pattern of what is darkness. It just flows out effortlessly. We don't plan on getting impatient on the freeway. I never do. It always happens. We don't schedule moments of lust. We don't look at our Palm Pilot and go, 2.45 p.m., covet that extravagant vehicle that you gaze upon. We don't do that. We don't schedule those things. Why? Because it's a pattern. It's what we're naturally inclined to do. It's self-centered stuff. It collects and it results from the deception that we deserve compensation for life's rigor. We're all entitled to a little bit of compensation for, for life's difficulties. And we are blind. That's what denial is. We're blind to it. You know, denial is a funny thing because people say, you're in denial. You say, no, I'm not. I'm not in denial. I don't have this problem. You've got the problem. That's what denial is. We're blind. We can't see. We're in the dark. 
And we need light. We need contrast. We need differentiation. And that's what God's word provides through personal study, through small groups, through listening here and encouraging one another and testimonies. You know, anytime that there is a fatal plane crash, this is one particular investigative body that goes to work. The National Transportation Safety Board gets to work. There are other investigative bodies that do things. But if there's a plane crash or a train wreck or some structural failure on a highway, they go to work. And the interesting thing about it is if they have a plane crash, what they do is they get every piece that they can of that airplane and they cart it to a warehouse that has lights. And they illuminate everything they can and they put that thing back together to try to pinpoint, to expose the problem that took place for the sake of the loved ones who lost people and for the sake of the future, for safety, to find out things that may go wrong and have need attention. It's brought to light. Have you heard that term? It's brought to light. And that's what we need in our lives, this investigative process that takes place. Microscopes, reassemblies, all those things. Jesus says, this is the verdict. In other words, here's your problem right here. How many of you have heard that from a mechanic or something? Here's your problem right here. $20 labor, $40 parts, $3,000 for knowing where to find it. Here's your problem right here. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the verdict. We prefer darkness. And God is urging us, all of us, to live by His truth. Come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what we do has been done from God. It's a differentiation. It's, it's a modification. It's a distinct, renewed character. We've had stories shared in the last few weeks. And one that's very uh, compelling is the story of Jim Minch. Many of you know Jim. He plays bass for us. He's got a very compelling story. But I want you to know that it's just an example of transformation. I'm going to ask Jim to come forward and share it this time. If you give me a hand. Are we there? Got it? Okay. Well, thanks, Pastor Jeff, for uh, asking me to do this. And I really <clears throat> publicly give thanks to an awesome God who has given me this story to tell. And I'm alive to tell it. Starts out pretty basic and boring. Uh, grew up in a small town in Indiana. And uh, youngest of four kids. Middle class family. And... Uh, my parents took us all to church and saw to it that we were confirmed in the eighth grade. That's what our church believed we needed to do. And uh, <clears throat> being the youngest of four, once I was confirmed, then the whole family quit going to church because we had done our duty, we had joined the club, and we were done. <laughs> so it was, you know, okay, whatever. You know, that's, I appreciate my parents giving me what they thought was best, and that's what they thought was best. So. Um, from there, it gets a little different. I was kind of an adventure junkie, and I uh, always looking to expand my horizons, uh, so to speak. And uh, anyway, I happened to be a good student, uh, straight, pretty much straight A's, and uh, was in National Honor Society. And uh, but along about the eighth grade, I started making some stupid choices, uh, drinking and smoking tobacco, and just making some dumb choices. Um, along about the ninth grade, things kept going in that direction, and I had a counselor come and jerk me out of class one day. 
and said, Jim, we're going to have to pull you out of honor society if you don't shape up. And I said, pull me out. I, I, I was just that deluded uh, that I felt honored to be pulled out of honor society. So that's the direction my life was going. Um, that's, it gets better, believe me. Um, by the 11th grade, um, I was to a point where myself and my cohorts were smoking dope on the way to school, during school, in shop class, lunch hour, after school, all night, and uh, amongst other types of drugs that we were, could get our hands on. Um, by the 12th grade, I'm trying to just move quickly through this part of it so I can get to the good stuff. Um, by, 12th, by my senior year, um, ditching a lot of school, and I mean, it was the least of my interest. I was very interested in playing music. It was always a big passion of mine. And um, I found that doing the drugs was helping, or I thought it was helping bring that out of me. So I had found a couple of guys who were quite a bit older than me. They had their own apartment, had a lot of really good drugs. And we were getting together three, four nights a week during my senior year and getting completely ripped on just about, you name it. And then uh, we would just spend three, four hours uh, just what we call jamming, just horsing around playing music. And, uh, you know, the only silver lining in that was that I did kind of discover some things about playing the bass guitar during that time because I was spending so many hours doing it. And uh, I thank God that he's, you know, brought me through this so I can now do it for him. So when I stand up here and play, I, you know, I just want you guys to know that it's a, I don't count that as a light thing. It's a very important to me because it's a reminder to me where God has brought me from and to. So anyway, uh, somehow I graduated from high school. I don't know why. <laughs> I just, I mean, I was, you know, but um, I don't know if I mentioned, but along this time I started becoming a speed freak because with all the pot, it was putting me to sleep. So I, I would take speed to keep me awake during school. But even by my senior year, that wasn't even working. I was just falling asleep in every class. And uh, anyhow, I wasn't, I wasn't done seeking adventure. I was still searching. And uh, on my 18th birthday, I had already graduated high school. And my brother and I hopped in an old car and ended up in Florida uh, for a year or so. And uh, I had hardly any money, so we rented this flea and roach-infested old house. And uh, it quickly became just a big gathering place for a bunch of hardcore druggies. And you never knew who was going to show up. In the morning, you didn't know who was going to be crashed out in what room. It was just ugly. Um, another thing I want to share before I move from the, the drug culture stories is that in case anybody might be thinking, well, you know, you can have some fun with this stuff and then you come out the other side. It doesn't always work that way. I wanted to share that at least four of my high school friends ended up behind bars for selling drugs. Uh, one of them, uh, one of my best friends, he stood up in my brother's wedding um, during an episode of using too much cocaine. His heart exploded, killed him. Another one of my friends uh, was shot and killed over two marijuana joints. So it's, it doesn't always end up pretty. In fact, uh, it usually doesn't. It's, it's a big dead end. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I was living down there in Florida, and, and I was feeling my independence, and I was feeling 
you know, this is, yeah, this is cool. But then I realized my body was so trashed, I couldn't work. I was 18 years old, and uh, I didn't have the strength to go to work. I got a job and realized I can't even do this. So the light bulb went off, and it's like, maybe I can't just keep doing these drugs forever, because it's going kill, to kill me. So uh, I had heard about this, uh, frankly, a cult that was uh, meeting actually all over, all over the world, frankly. It's called Divine Light Mission. And uh, it's kind of interesting, the name of this cult, because the light that they are expounding upon is actual real darkness, is what it is. Um, but I bought into this thing because it was basically a collection of a bunch of hardcore druggies that were kind of a uh, support group for one another. And we did kind of help, a lot of us helped each other get away from the hardcore drug culture. And it actually uh, it served that purpose. But it was hardcore brainwashing. Um, we were told what to eat, what to drink. We were, uh, their form of church, we were expected to be there every night. And I was usually there at least six nights a week. We were expect expected to meditate two hours a day. We were expected to travel whenever the guru was going to show up, wherever on the globe. We were expected to get there, even though we didn't have any money. So I, I was, went as far as Rome to see this guy. And uh, but anyhow, it's kind of embarrassing to admit that I did that. But um, to this day, a lot of my friends are, you know, 30 years later still doing it because it's hardcore brainwashing. But anyhow, I had moved to Phoenix because there was a, a large contingency of this cult there. And uh, one night, I came home to my apartment, and uh, my ex-wife said, uh, "You know, we need to talk." I said, oh, "Okay, I can do that." And uh, the Jonestown massacre had just happened a day or two previous to that. And uh, the Lord, you know, had his finger on, on my life, had his hand on my life, though I didn't realize it at the time. But um, my former mother-in-law had come to our apartment and saw our shrine and our altar and all our pictures of our guru. And she wasn't necessarily a, you know, a religious lady, so to speak. But God used her, and, and she came along, and she told my ex-wife, she just is like, what are you thinking? What what is what is going on with you people? You know, what are you thinking? So I got home from work and my ex-wife was like, let's you know. So we sat and talked and we realized that you know what happened in, with the Jonestown massacre could have easily been us because we were that brainwashed. Whatever we were told to do, we were going to do it. And um, most people that get that far into something like that end up needing professional deprogramming. And uh, God just came along in the, in the episode of that one night, and it was like, popped the whole balloon, and I was released from that whole thing that night. I renounced it, denounced it, however you want to put it, and walked away from it, never went back. And uh, I've got friends to this day, in fact, my brother to this day, who are still scratching their head, wow, what happened to you? You know, you gave up on the guru. But that's what God did for me. So anyway, um, uh, let's see. So then it was like I was like I did feel like a, a balloon that was been, had been popped because I was still an adventure junkie and I was still seeking, really ultimately the truth is what I was seeking and that light, that true light that we're talking about. So uh, I had heard about you know these people called born again Christians, Jesus freaks and stuff. I thought well. 
give that a try. I'll look, at, I'll look into that. So about four, four years of attending a, a Bible preaching church, um, just checking it out. Um, people made assumptions that I was a believer because I was always in church. I'd set them straight in a hurry. No way. I'm not a believer. I'm just checking this thing out. You know, I, I, I wasn't about to sell my soul as something again unless... If this was all about God Almighty, it had to be about God Almighty and He had to let me know that He was in it and it wasn't just another religion or whatever. So um, anyhow, on um, Easter morning of 1982, I went to church and uh, this church of 1,350 people, packed house, and um, I met the Lord that day. And uh, I was the last one to leave that church that day. It was a combination of I didn't want to get up, I didn't want to leave that church, and I don't know, it took about an hour before I could leave that church. I was just, like, melted. God just melted me. And I realized, okay, I found it. I, I've been found. And by the, the, the Lord of Lords. And... Um, so, uh, I really, I just want to say that by His grace, I've really never looked back. There's nothing to look back for. You know, every I've been, people have come up to me after the, telling this story for the last three services. It's like people have known me 10, 12 years. I didn't know all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't go around thinking about it or telling it because, you know, I'm just looking forward. I just want to look forward. I want to share a scripture real quick. Wrap it up here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I think in our human tendency, if you look at that scripture, you're going to say, oh yeah, right. You know, I'm all about expanding my horizons. I'm cool, you know. And I'm going, to go, I'm going to find a narrow road and a narrow gate? No, no. By human understanding, see, that doesn't work. But by the grace of God, if you're ushered through that narrow gate, if you allow him to usher you through it, however you want to put it, you get to the other side and you realize that you've been living within a sphere of your own making. Up until that point, you can expand your horizons, you can travel the world, you can... I mean, I've... I've been on acid trips where I've left this body, I've gone to different... I mean, it's all, you know, I've, I've been there and done it. Um, but I was still within this sphere of limitations because I was all, it was all within my own abilities and my own making. And uh, so God took me through this narrow gate. And the awesome thing is that when you get through that narrow gate, all of a sudden there's no more sphere. With God, there are no limitations. There are no limitations. Um, uh, life becomes, you know, when we talk about being born again, it's very appropriate because we are born into a whole new existence. The Bible says we're a new creation. And, you know, I just encourage everybody here and encourage you to encourage me that, you know, we can go around after we get through this gate, we can go around and maybe snorkel around the surface and, you know, you know, let God be a part of our lives. Or we can, you know, kind of put on the scuba gear and say, let's just go. Let's, you know, we're there now. Let's just dive in. Let's really let God work and see what he, what he wants to do through our lives. So, um, 
I guess the last thing I want to share is just a quick story about um, a friend of mine who uh, we were speaking last Tuesday night, and uh, he's a terminally ill gentleman. Uh, he's in constant severe pain. Um, he can't even get on a waiting list for organ transplants because his overall health is so horrible. They, they, they figure it's a waste. The doctors have given him time limits upon which he can live. He keeps blasting through that. And this man is uh, uh, full of the joy of the Lord. He is living, he has lost his health, he's lost his marriage, he's lost uh, a good, high, high paying job. He's lost everything, all of his stature, and he lives in constant pain. But he is um, living for God in just full, just full, and always overbrimming. And on Tuesday night, we were talking, and he just said, and he just, in one little sentence, it just blew my mind. Here's a sick individual, and he said, You know, Jim, I have never had it so good. He is living, he is experiencing what God, the power of God in his life. And it completely erases the fact that he has, he literally has nothing else. But it doesn't matter, you know, the power of God is that magnificent. It's that without limits. So I um, thank you for your time. God bless you. When I was in high school, my parents told me to stay away from guys like Jim. <laughs> but even though I was doing underage drinking and, and living the way I wanted to, it made me realize hearing this story, there's, there's no hierarchy. There, you can't put anything on a scale that has to do with darkness and living yourself. There are severe consequences that do differ. And it came close to a culture of death and darkness. And we all are really in the darkness, going toward death. That's what death is, is the ultimate darkness. Uh, listen to uh, this passage, Ephesians 5, 8 through 14, and see if you don't think about Jim's story and your story as well, all of us in this transformation process. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness. The light is good. Righteousness and truth. And find out in your journey what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And maybe you have some of that shame and you can identify with that. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now these words come from a very early hymn, like a worship song that we would sing. But we can identify with the truth in it. Rise up, O sleeper. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Death is so dark and it's extreme. There's no light in a grave. When people are dying, there's a, a way of saying the lights are going out. Death is the ultimate darkness. But God wants light in our lives. God saw that the light was good. He separated. He made a distinction and differentiation. And that's what God wants in our life. To wake up. To rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on us. You see, as we started with the beginning, there was darkness over the earth. And God provided the light as a distinction. Do you know at the end, in the end, it will be like the moon where it completely goes away. It will be like all light. 
Listen to these words describing that condition. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of the Lord, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. Jesus is the lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. In other words, you lock your doors at night, don't we? We lock our doors when it's dark. You don't need to do that in the end. And that's what we're moving toward. We're going from complete darkness and emptiness to God's light. But here we are in transition. So in the meantime, there are 12 hours for us to see. And we get a day, a new day each day. It's not like the moon where it's every 30 days. God turns the light daily. And we have a new, fresh day to start. Every day, new light. So walk in His light. Because the darkness causes us to stumble. I pray that for myself. I pray that continues Jim life, Jim's life and yours as well. And that's what we join in prayers. We ask for God's light in our lives. Lord, we uh, thank you for the truth that anything that we can do that is of good comes from you. And that your light is what gives us guidance and anticipates the shadow of darkness and death away from us. Lord, we just ask that we'll see your light. Ask that we see it on a daily basis. More and more of it. That as it dissipates shadows in our lives and dissipates shadows in the others, others' lives, that we will be representatives of your light. So as your words say in your teaching, that we let our light shine in such a way that God, that they will see the good works that we do and glorify you, not us, but glorify you. We pray this be part of our lives, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for your purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.